Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Pray with me this morning, if you would, please. Our God and our Father, we come. We come thanking you for the things we just declared in song. We thank you that you, oh God, are our deliverer. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you have seen us through this past year. And God, that you are at work in this present and coming year. That you are out ahead of us already, drawing us to yourself, drawing us into your beauty and your glory and your mission, God, we thank you. We are grateful. We're grateful to be able to gather to worship, to worship your great and glorious name. We're thankful, God, to be present with you, with one another in fellowship. We're just so grateful, Father, for your goodness. And we we come again this morning, starting this new year, God, devoting ourselves once again to you, to your purposes and your ways, to you personally, God, to pursue you with hearts that are full and whole and open, God, to you. And so, Holy Spirit, we know you're in this place because you have promised that you would be. And so we come in this moment inviting you to have just unhindered sway in our minds and in our hearts. Help us now, God. We come seeking you. We draw near to you. And you have told us in your word that as we do, we will find you. So we bring our whole hearts in these moments. And God, as we come to your word in these moments... We pray that you would speak to us. Lord, each of us individually in in that personal way that you can and do. And so I pray that you would speak to each heart here this morning as we open our minds to your word, to hear it, to, to receive it, to act upon it. God, help us, guide us, direct us, we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Happy New Year! And I see that you know the be seated thing, and I'm grateful for that. That's good and wonderful. Hey, I want you to do me a favor and and thank our our worship team, if you would. Yeah. And and I'm I'm asking you to thank them specifically for something as you see them individually. You know, I, I know some of you um, some of you are are sometimes nine o'clockers or nine thirty attenders, and you just couldn't make it this morning. Um, but uh, we, had, we had folks who did. But our, our praise and worship team, they were up here around 7, some of them 6.30-ish. Uh, and they do that every week, week in and week out. And um, some of them were a little bleary-eyed, you know. They were, they were just tired, you could tell. And um, it, a couple, couple of extra cups of coffee for some this morning. But we're grateful. Um, that they, they serve us by leading us to worship the Lord, and that they do it sacrificially. 
um, yeah, week in and week out. And I just thank God for them. Uh, I'm also thankful for uh, some other folks this morning that I just want to bring to your attention so you can also be thankful with me uh, for them. Uh, today, January the 1st, is the employment anniversary for three of our staff. Um, uh, Vicki Altman, I, I, don't, I don't see Vicki, but Vicki uh, today celebrates, she, she joined our staff in, in the year 2000, so this is her 23rd employment anniversary. Uh, yay, yay, Vicki, thank you. Um, Brandon Gatchel is back there, raise your hand, Brandon. Yeah. Brandon has been a part of our staff since 2015. Um, and then Cindy Shirley, who uh, was here in the first service and did greeting and welcoming and those kinds of things. Uh, she joined our staff back in 2006. Um, so we've got a kind of a long journey. Yeah. Um, just a lot to be thankful for. God has blessed us with, just in, blessed me with incredible people to work with. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for, for each of you uh, that God has, has brought you here again this morning. Um, to start uh, this new year together. I'm grateful for that. Now, I, I'm going to, as I do often on a Sunday morning, I'm going to use the word God today, and I'm going to use it a lot. And I want to be really clear this morning, maybe like I've never been as clear before, of who I'm speaking of when you hear me say God this morning. I, I just want to, I want to be clear that you are hearing me speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, our, our Trinitarian God who has always existed that way. He, he's always existed that way. Each member of our triune God present at creation, fulfilling their, their role, bringing about creation, each member there. That Trinitarian God who was active in the incarnation, what, what we call Christmas, each member of the Trinity doing their part. To bring that about. Our Trinitarian God who was present, each member active on Mount Calvary on, on that day of the crucifixion. Paying the penalty for your sin and, and, and my sin. Purchasing us back for themselves. The Trinitarian God, each member in, engaged in the resurrection defeating death, making eternal life with them certain for anyone who would repent and, and believe. The Trinitarian God, each, each member active uh, in our personal salvation and our ongoing sanctification for their eternal glory. Each member of the Trinity, our Trinitarian God, currently working in time and space, bringing about all of human history to culminate in that moment of the glorious return of our Lord Jesus and the restoration of all things in the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. In case you're wondering what God I'm talking about today, that's who I'm talking about, okay? Are we clear? Okay, well then I'll go on. I'm also going to do something that I don't normally do, and today I'm going to give you all three of my big points to start with. And I know some of you are saying, so can we go after that? If you must. You know, if you must, I hope you'll give me some moments to unpack them, but I, I want to go ahead and give you these because these have actually become my prayer for myself and for you, us, as, as a church, as God's people for 2023. And I'm calling them the big three in 2023. And, and, and my prayer is that you will, you will come to know 
and grow to know that God is great and that God is good and that God is with us. I am praying that in a tangible, experiential way this year, those big three that you will experience, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the witness of God like you never have before. And so I want to start by helping us think about our great God. And I want to share one of my favorite stories about about greatness. And it's about the the longest reigning monarch that uh, history records. It's not Queen Elizabeth. She was second on the list. But the longest reigning monarch was Louis XIV of France. And he went by lots of names. One of his favorite names was the Grand Monarch. Now, that should tell you something about Louis to start with. He began reigning in France at the age of four. He reigned for 72 years and 110 days, for those of you who need those details. Um, it was a long, long reign. I, I don't know what you think about France today as a global power, but in Louis' day, they were the global power, especially in Europe. I mean, he, he consolidated power. He brought religious factions together. He had military campaigns all over Europe that really kind of left people in fear when France was on the move. He was also an arrogant, miserable human being. Miserable for people, other people to be around. One day he was confronted about kind of utilizing overreach of the state, if you would, his power. And Louis' response to that was, I am the state. I am France. Like, you know, France wouldn't exist, you know, without him. And Louis, as he got up in age, decided to begin to plan his funeral. And he planned out every detail of it, uh, every single detail. Um, And he decided that he wanted his service held in the magnificent, you know, cathedral Notre Dame. He wanted it held there. He had a long list of, you know, who he wanted to say what in it. He specifically had designed and had engineered his coffin to be inlaid with pure gold. He had enlisted, um, kind of by force almost, the Bishop of Clement, uh, his name was Jean-Baptiste Massillon, and he enlisted Massillon because Massillon was known as this incredible orator, especially in, in, in doing funerals. Uh, Louis wrote out a long list of things he wanted said at his funeral, and as you might imagine, he thought quite highly of himself. He really did. And he planned the lighting He had specifically designed the plan of the lighting for his uh, funeral this way. One candle to light the whole cathedral. And he wanted it placed right up next to his gold inlaid casket, which would cast a reflection of light all over the cathedral. And that would be the source of light for everyone that day. And that's how people would remember him he thought. So the funeral progressed. There was this one single light. You know, it was flickering gold everywhere, this reflection. And then it was time for for Masion to come up 
and to deliver this, this eulogy. And, you know, you would have thought it was going to be straightforward, though kind of daunting, to eulogize what many people of that day thought of as the, probably the greatest human being living. At least he thought that of himself. And when time came for him to speak, Masayan did not go to, uh, to ascend the stairs to the pulpit. What, what he did was he headed for the coffin. And he walked up next to the coffin, and this is what he did. And he doused the candle. And he let darkness hang for a moment, and then he spoke these words. Only God is great. Who wants to go, yes! <laughs> you know, that, that, that was such... Just such an incredible, you know, I'd have loved to have been there for, for that moment. Um, it, that just an incredible thought. Now, here's something I want you to be captured by. If you were ever in need of a definition of great, you need to get you one of these, and you need to look for God in it. Because that's the definition, the true definition of great. That, that is our God. And there's some things about his greatness that we need to know. One of those things that we need to see for ourselves is the greatness of God's character. We need to see how great he is in character. We're going to fly through lots of scripture today. Just know that, okay? So if you need it later, you can find it online or on a website, those kinds of things. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, we read these words, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty awesome God who is not partial. He doesn't show partiality anywhere. It takes no bribe, unlike so many uh, of us humans. Deuteronomy 32.3 tells us, uh, I, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read these words, how great are you, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. Job proclaims in Job 36, how great is God beyond our understanding. We can't even understand him. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God on his holy mountain. Psalm 104, bless the Lord of my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. God is great in character. He is constant. He is holy, he is transcendent, he's imminent, he's eternal, he's revealed in glory. Our God is omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's righteous, he's sovereign, he's faithful, and he is true. That's the character of our God. And not only is he great in character, but we also need to see the greatness of our God in deeds, his mighty works. We just read this recently at Christmas. The Virgin Mary declares of God's great deed done to her in Luke chapter 1. God, all-powerful, has done great things for me, and his name is holy. Moses, who witnessed many great works of God, declares this about God in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 24. O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or, or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours. And again, Moses has witnessed many 
Job declared the greatness of God's deeds. Job 37, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. We don't know who the writer of Psalm 71 is, but we can tell from the context that this is someone who had some life experience under their belt. The psalmist writes these words, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? The prophecy about the greatness of God coming Through his Messiah in Micah chapter 5, it says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, and they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. In the New Testament, when Jesus is walking uh, uh, among us, Luke records about a boy who's being tormented by an evil spirit. And in Luke chapter 9, it records this. It says, and they were all amazed, the people who witnessed this healing. They were all amazed at the greatness of God, marveling at all that Jesus did. See, God, our God is great in character, and he is great in, in deeds and mighty works. But we also need to see the greatness of our God in salvation, in God's salvation. See, God is great in salvation, and it comes through mercy and grace. King David prays in Psalm 69, O Lord, O God, out of the greatness of your mercy, answer me with the truth of your salvation. In Zephaniah 3, we read these words, The Lord your God, he's in your midst, he's a mighty one, and he will save In 1 John, the gospel writer John, the apostle, writes, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. We were saved to be sons and daughters of of the Most High God. Psalm 96, we read these words. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Tell everyone about the amazing things that He does. Great is the Lord. I know that some of you have uh, had opportunity to read some writings by a famous Christian author by the name of Philip Yancey, and I would encourage you, if you haven't, to, to, to maybe read something. One of the stories that uh, Mr. Yancey tells, he tells a story of the first time that he and his wife visited Yellowstone Park and saw um, the old faithful geyser. And they had gone into uh, the, the, the place there where you can eat, and it has this gigantic picture window that overlooks the geyser and you can see this gigantic clock that's out there that will tell you when it's about to to erupt uh, uh, again and so they you know everybody in the diner keeps their eyes open uh, at that clock and then when it gets to about one minute till everybody gets up and walks to the window and you know the Yanceys did that he and his wife they got there with everybody else and they they waited and the geyser went off and one of the things uh, Philip noticed was this that um, everybody in the place did it except for the wait staff. The wait staff it took that opportunity to clear dirty dishes and refill cups and glasses, paying no attention whatsoever to this incredible natural phenomenon. They, they, were, they didn't pay any attention to it. Somewhere along the way, he noticed that the wait staff had kind of lost interest. They were no longer impressed by Old Faithful, no longer impressed by this great natural phenomenon. 
I wonder. I want to ask you, are there places in your life where that has happened towards God? Where that your attitude is not as amazed and awed as your heart may have once been? Because it is easy in our culture to get kind of absorbed by just the modern, you know, the day-to-day stuff. It, it's easy to get distracted because of crises that, that come our way. It's easy to do that, to, to fall out of uh, amazement. And we, friends, we need to be amazed constantly at the majesty and wonder and, and greatness of our God. Because if we don't, it, it will lead us to no longer give God credit for what's going on around us. We will forget his greatness Psalm 103, verse 2 reminds us this, that we need to praise the Lord, praise the Lord on my soul. And then it tells us this, and forget not all his benefits. Friends, don't forget the greatness of our God. Now, sure we live in a time when there are some great people alive, great thinkers, great scientists, great inventors, great theologians, people who have great achievements in all walks of life that kind of tower above, you know, ordinary people like me. But here's the deal. They still have needs like we do. They, they still do. They, they experience aches and pains. They, they, they have troubled minds and, and hungry hearts. They, they will never avoid disease and, and, and death. Because only God is ultimately, truly great. And he's great enough to meet all of your needs and mine. And he's great enough to forgive all of our sin. God, God is great. He's great enough to carry us through the dark valley of death and into eternal life with him. That he, he's great. Forget not all his benefits. Don't forget the greatness of God. He, he's great. And our great God, this is kind of the second big thing, is good. He's always good. Look at Psalm 100. It says, for the Lord is always good. He is always loving and kind, and his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. Some of you have memorized Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, for I know, this is God speaking, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for what? For good. Good, good plans to, to, to give you hope and a future. God, God has these good plans. God never has made bad plans for your, for your life. He has good plans for you. And yet many people miss God's goodness because they don't trust God. Instead, they decide to kind of follow their own plan, which leads to hopelessness and, and pessimism and, and, and things worse than those. See, the more you understand the goodness of God, the more that you will live with hope. The more you'll be a person of hope because that hope, hope is just simply anticipating the goodness of God. Quite frankly, the only reason, the only reason you will ever have hope is because God is good. That's the only reason any of us can ever have hope, is because God is good. There is not a rational reason for hope 
without the goodness of God. Again, that great King David said in Psalm 27, he said, I would have despaired. Now, this was a man. If you read the psalm and you read his life, he went through a lot of suffering and difficulty. And he said, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He, he, he knew he was going to see. He would have despaired. See, everything God does for you or through you or to you or in you, he does because he's good. Not because you're good, but because he's good. Because it's always based on his great character. So if you're here today and you were battling things like discouragement, or you're battling things like doubt, or you're kind of like maybe David was thinking about here that you, you might be heading towards despair. You need to see the goodness of God. You need to open your eyes to that and be, be filled with that. You need to look for how God is good to you. You need to write them down. Some of you were hanging out with us back in Thanksgiving when we did that, you know, God's blessings from A to Z list. And if you weren't, go back and look at that, and, and I'll challenge you to do that for the coming year. But you need to, to see the goodness of God. You need to see his blessings in your life, and his blessings show up in many ways. It shows up in sustaining you and giving you resilience, giving you confidence to go on, giving you influence, giving you an, an inheritance as children of God. He makes this available to you because of his grace and mercy and his character. And that gives me hope. And I hope it fills you with hope too. But we don't need to stop there. We need to acknowledge the goodness of God. We, we need to acknowledge that he is good. And the way that we do that is we do that when we worship him. Look at Psalm 34. It says, worship God if you want the best. If you want to experience the best of God in your life, you need to worship him. Worship opens doors to all his goodness. We need to engage in worship individually. We need to engage in it corporately. And we always need to engage in it wholeheartedly. Not, not halfway, but with all of our lives. See, the way you experience God's goodness in the deepest way is through worship. And worship keeps you forget it, from forgetting how good God is. And friends, there are some terrible consequences to forgetting the goodness of God. Okay, I want, to run, I want to give you three of them real quick because you want to avoid these. Three negative consequences. First, if you forget God is good, you'll start taking credit for things God's done for you. You just will. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about a really rich dude. This guy was successful. He, he was surveying his empire. You know, this would be like a billion in our day. He, he's got it all. And the guy kind of says to himself, look what I've done with my life. Man, all the great things I've accomplished, all the wealth I've amassed. What am I going to do with all this? I couldn't possibly spend it all. What am, what am I going to do? And he decides, okay, I know what, I'll build, I'll build, I'll build some more storage units. Like, that's what we needed in our world was more storage units. I'll build some more storage units so I can put my stuff in there and just let it, let it grow. And he doesn't give God any credit at all for all that he has no, no credit to God. He takes it all on himself. And the Bible says that God speaks to that 
that rich man. And these are God's first words to him. I hope you never hear God say this to you. God's first words to him were, you fool. You get called a fool by God. Yikes. He said, you fool. Tonight, tonight you're going to die. Your life is required of you, and I'm going to take everything you got, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Because that's what happens to your stuff, you know. Somebody else gets it. And maybe God was going to give it to somebody who would, who would honor him. Friends, I think if we would get real with one another and be vulnerable and honest, you know, for a moment, if I kind of went around and, and did a survey asking, you know, a question, something like this, what do you imagine is the worst sin somebody could commit? I think, you know, we'd, we'd hear things like a murder or, you know, sexually abusing somebody or, you know, being so overcome with greed and lust for power and money that you just step on people. And the Bible says, no, it's none of those. That the, the, the worst sin is prideful ingratitude towards God. Just pride and ingratitude towards God. Not acknowledging God's, God's goodness. The Bible talks about this over and over and over. Friends, you know what the biggest problem with a self-made man or self-made woman is? They worship their maker. Not the maker, but their maker themselves. They, they do this self-worship thing. I did it all. And that pits you against God. You're skating on thin ice. Now, you know, somebody might say, hey, Joe, but wait a minute. Man, you, you just don't know. I, I, built, I built my business with my bare hands. Who gave them to you? I built this business by the sweat of my brow. Who gave you sweat glands? Who gave you your next breath or the lungs that you breathe it with? Who gave you the ability right now to sit upright if you're able? You know, who, who gave you these things? God did. Some of you have read, maybe even studied uh, Paul's writings to the church at Corinth. You know, they, they were messed up. They were almost as messed up as people at River Bluff, you know? And, and Paul writes to them one day, and he writes this question. What do you have that God hasn't given you? What do you have that God hasn't given you? It's an incredible question. Jesus' half-brother James writes these words. He says in James chapter 1, verse 17, whatever's good, whatever's perfect, comes to us from God. I want you to go back and now look at that question in context of all of what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? No room for pride here. Friends, once you start to take credit for the good in your life, these consequences will start spiraling downward. Here's the second one. If you forget God is good, you'll stop asking God for help. You'll start relying mostly on yourself. You'll start kind of living that way. You'll start developing a dependency on yourself. You'll stop asking God uh, in prayer. And it will start this way. You'll stop asking him for the little things. And then you'll stop asking him for the big things. Friends, God wants to help you in the little things in life. 
He wants to help you when you get ready to pull out on the Dorchester Road in rush hour traffic. He wants to help you. Ask him for help. It's a good practice. Asking for help in finding your keys when you lose them like me. You know, ask, ask him for help. Over 20 times in the New Testament alone, God's word says, ask. Jesus, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we are going to get back to, I promise. And the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. God wants you to ask him. Now, I'm not going to camp out on, on this long because we are coming back to that in, in just a couple of weeks. But asking is important. Some people won't ask in prayer because, you know, they think they can handle it on their own. But there are some people who honestly don't ask because they think they're bothering God. They think, that, you know, they, they think they're bothering or some people think they're not worthy. God never answers a single prayer based on your worthiness. So get over yourself. He doesn't. He answers it based on his worth, who he is, his greatness and his goodness. Look at Psalm 69, what David says. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. He didn't say, answer me, O Lord, for my steadfast love. He said, you're steadfast. Your, your love is good. It's according to your abundant mercy. Everything that God does through you, for you, to you, or in you is because of his goodness. He's, he's good to you. Not based on your goodness, on his goodness. God's even good to bad people. You know, people that you would consider evil and you know, utterly wicked. They get to breathe the same air you do. You know, they, 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 get, they get life Two, God is still good to them because his goodness is not based on our goodness. It's just, it, it, it's not. So thinking that you've got to be better before you can ask is foolish. Because you could never get better enough for God to answer your prayers. So don't quit asking him. It's a dangerous spiral because if you quit asking him, then the next step is this. If you forget God is good, you'll stop trusting him when times get tough. When, when difficulties come, you'll, you'll stop asking him, and it'll lead you to think you're facing life alone. Psalm 16, verse 1, protect me, O God. I trust in you for safety. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. All good things I have come from you. Many of you are familiar with Romans 8. 28, it tells us, and we know, you can know, we know, you can, you can know this, that for those who love God, all things, the difficult things even, work together for good. But friends, when you forget that God is good, you'll stop asking him, and it'll eventually lead you to stop putting your trust in him, and you will begin to feel abandoned. You'll begin to, to experience hopelessness. God doesn't want that for you. His plans are to give you hope, to give you life, so that you'll know you're never alone, which leads to the third of the big three for 2023. And that is this, and I'm praying that you'll know this experientially and tangibly in ways you've never known before, that our great and good God has chosen, desires, wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. I want to do a post 
Christmas survey for a moment, okay? I want you to think back to 2022 between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day, okay? That basically month or so. How many of you were asked at least once in that time period, what do you want for Christmas? Anybody asked that question, what do you want for Christmas in that time period? You know, I, I, I've asked, I got asked that, and I've asked, I asked a few people that, and I noticed something. For some reason, that's a hard question for a lot of people to answer, and maybe because we have more than we need. Who knows why? But there's one person who could answer that immediately, and it is Jesus. Jesus knew what he wanted that first Christmas. Jesus knows what he wants every single Christmas and that is to be with you. Friends, one of the realities, you know, we all have wanters. All of us have wanters. Some of our wanters are broken at times. Wanting, quite frankly, is a powerful part of who we are. You know, there, I've shared this before. I shared unashamedly. There have been seasons of my life where I have needed to see a counselor. And I go to a Christian counselors. I've seen a couple of different ones over the course of my life. And almost consistently, they all kind of began our first time together with a question that goes something like this. Um, Joe, what do you want? What, what, what is the outcome you hope for from our time together? And it's interesting to me that that was a question that Jesus asked people all the time. Jesus, Jesus even, you know, it's recorded that Jesus asked a man who was uh, lame, who, who was paralyzed, do you want to be healed? Jesus knew that our wanters, this, this wanting is really at the core of, of who we are and that we almost always, the direction of our life is almost always moving towards what we want. Now, I, I don't know about you, but... For me, I can want one thing one minute and something totally different the next. You know, it depends on whether I'm hungry or thirsty. It depends on what mood I, I, I'm in sometimes. You know, I can, I can just want the total opposite things. One of the realities about what I'll call a healthy, maturing life that leads to life flourishing is that we develop some stable wants, some consistency in, in our wants. There's a, a great... Uh, account, historic account that you may want to go read later on today. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 2. It's, we're coming to the end of that great prophet Elijah's ministry. And he has a, a young protege named Elisha who um, travels with him, kind of serves him, learning from him. And they're getting to the end of his day and Elijah says, Elisha, God has told me I need to go over to this town. You need to stay here. And Elisha said, uh uh-huh. I ain't doing it. I'm going with you. Because he knew Elijah's ministry was coming to an end. And so a little bit later, they get over there and Elijah says to Elisha, now, okay, we've been here. Now, God's told me to go over there, and, um, but you need to stay here. And Elisha says, uh-uh. Where you go, I go. And that happened three or four times. And then finally, and it almost seems like there may have been a test going on for Elisha. Um, and finally, Elijah turns to him and says, Elisha, what do you want? Because he knew Elisha wasn't leaving him because he wanted something. And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. That spirit that's in you. I want to know God like you know God. I want to experience God like you experience God. That was his wanter. It was a little bit like King Solomon. You remember God comes to King Solomon 
and says, Solomon, what is it that you want from me the most? And what does Solomon say? Wisdom. I want wisdom. And God was so pleased with that, that, that answer. Now, I, I did kind of a little reflecting on my life this past week, and, and, and many of you do that kind of over the last week of, you know, the, the, the end of the year kind of things. And one of the questions that I began asking myself is, what's going on in my wanter? Do I, do I want those things that would honor God? Now, I am sure if God came to me and said, Joe, what do you want? I would try to give him an answer that I thought he wanted that would make me look good in his eyes. Just, okay? And, and don't act like you wouldn't. I mean, Solomon, he said, I want wisdom. If you study Solomon's life, that did not last long. He did not pursue wisdom very long, did he? He didn't. And that's true about all of us. Our wanters kind of get astray. But you ask Jesus what he wants, you know what he's going to tell you every time? I want to be with you. I want to be with you. You ask God the Father what he wants, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. You ask the Holy Spirit what he wants. I want to be in you, baby. I want to be that close. I want to be with you. Friends, that's been the consistent message throughout Scripture. You search the Scriptures, you'll notice this. That's what the garden was all about. God wanted a place where he could come in the cool of the day to be with Adam and Eve. That's what calling Abraham and starting a nation of people that would be his own special possession. That's what it was all about so he had people to be with. That's what that, that, that crazy tabernacle tent in the desert was all about. So God would have a place to be with his people with the Ark of the Covenant. And the Shekinah glory of God would sit there. God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with you. So that you'll never think you're alone. So that you'll never struggle in some kind of solo. If you'd ask Jesus this Christmas what he wanted or any Christmas in the future, Jesus would say, Christmas is about me wanting to be with you. Look at the gospel writer Matthew recorded this for us. In Matthew chapter 1, part of the Christmas narrative, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. That's what it was, it was all about. Friends, we, we can see a significant part of the purpose God has for being with us in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 8. God comes to Jeremiah the prophet. God has given this dude a difficult assignment, just so you know. Jeremiah got, he, he drew the short straw as prophets go, Okay. And that's one of the reasons he's called the weeping prophet. He, he, he drew kind of the short straw. But God said this. He said, I'm going to send you some people. Don't be afraid of them because I am with you to deliver you. I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. See, God doesn't want to just be with you to watch you. God is with you to deliver you. He has a purpose and a plan. There's another passage of Scripture that you may know better um, than, than that Jeremiah passage. And I want to walk it out with you as it, as it pertains to our great and good God who wants to be with us. And it's Psalm 23. 
And if you haven't meditated on it lately, I want to encourage you to do that. If you haven't memorized it, I want to encourage you to do that so you can meditate on it. Psalms 23, there's not another passage of Scripture really like it uh, with with its power and, and beauty. But it's about God as our good shepherd and his greatness and his goodness and his longing to be with us. See, to, to sheep, there's no one or nothing greater than their shepherd. There, nothing. There's no one who does more good for them. No one who is more consistently with them, protecting them, feeding them than their shepherd. And so quickly, I want to run through just some ways in Psalm chapter 23 that we see The blessings of God, our God who is great and good and with us. First of all, because God is great, good, and with us, he will meet all my needs. Verse 1 says this, the Lord, and Jesus is our Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You don't have to live with lack because God, your God is great, and he is good, and he is with you. Number two, because God is great, good, and with us, he'll teach us to relax when we are stressed out, when we're wrecked by it. Verse 2, look what it says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Has God ever had to make you lie down? Has God ever had to push you on your back because you weren't smart enough to slow down? You were working so hard, burning the candle at both ends, which means you weren't that bright. You know, God will, he will make you lie down. But he does that to teach you that you can rest in him. You can relax, you can, you can trust him. Third thing, because God is great, good, and with us, he will replenish me when I get empty. If the truth were told, some of you showed up here today out of gas from 2022. Last month or so, you've just been running on fumes. This is a message for you. He restores my soul. God, who's great and good and wants to be with you, he will restore your soul. Some modern translations reframe that verse this way. He gives me new strength. Number four, because God is great, good, and with us, he will guide me when I'm confused. The Bible says it this way in verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God will lead you. God, God will guide you. Number five, because God is great, good, and with us, he will walk with me in dark and fearful days. He's not going to leave you alone. I know none of you showed up wanting to hear what I'm about to say next. But if I don't say it, I wouldn't be telling you the full truth. You're going to go through some difficulty in 2023. You just are. There are going to be some dark, maybe even fearful days ahead. But God has said, I will be with you. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Friends, if God is with you, it doesn't matter who or what's against you. God is on your side. Number six, because God is great, good, and with us, he will protect me when I feel insecure. Look at the rest of verse four. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those are the tools of a shepherd for protecting the sheep. Those are tools of protection given to a shepherd to protect the sheep. God will protect you. Number seven, because God is great, good, and with us, he will publicly show his favor 
on my life. Now, God wants you to know and to see his grace at work in your life. But God also wants the world to see his favor on you. Have you ever heard um, something uh, when it comes to economics, uh, favored nation status? Basically what that means is that nation has privileges that other nations don't have in, in, in trade agreements. Here's what God says. God says, I want to publicly show your fa- my favor on your life. I want you to understand that you have, you have, you know, this kind of status. And even when, even when people come against you, even when people are attacking you or criticizing you, when they come against you, verse 5 says, he will prepare a table before me where? In the presence of my enemies. He will anoint my head with oil. Anointing is a public display. He said, my cup overflows. See, God. God wants to publicly acknowledge that he is over your life. And one of the ways he does that is as you publicly acknowledge him as your Lord to the world. They'll see the beauty of God. He wants you to be seen that way. Number eight, God is great, good, and with us. And he will be good to me no matter what happens. No matter what comes. Other people... This year may not be so good to you. Again, if you're driving on Dorchester Road, you'll, you'll meet those people. But God will be good to you. You can always count on the goodness of God. Verse 6 says this, surely, surely, absolutely, positively, goodness, God's goodness, his mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, I don't know what all that 2023 holds for you. I don't know all that 2023 holds for me, but I know this. God's goodness, based upon his mercy and his grace, will be with me. And because of that, I know I'll handle anything. You'll handle anything if you know that and you live with that. Number nine, because God is great, good, and with us, he will take me to heaven one day. The psalmist concludes by saying this, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever that's a long time baby forever is a long time to be with this great and good God who wants to be with you this friends this is our God so what do I do how do I respond two things real quickly and then we're closing out how do I respond first of all because our God is great and good and with us we need to live in what Oswald Chambers called continuous conversion. Continuous conversion. The gospel writer Matthew recorded Jesus saying in Matthew 18, it's not going to come up on the screen, but in Matthew 18, Jesus said, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what little children continue to have to do? They have to keep going back to mom and daddy. It's kind of like continuous conversion. God wants us to come continually back to him because you're going to blow it in 2023. And you need to continuously have your heart converted. You know, when we, when we live in our own self-rule, trusting in our own abilities instead of God, we, we produce painful consequences for ourselves and those around us. We, we just do. And we need to daily check in with the spirit of the living God in us and ask, how am I doing? 
How am I doing in obeying you? How am I doing in walking with you? And then we need to respond. And, and, and friends, just because maybe you, you knocked it out of the ballpark in walking with Jesus in 2022 does not mean you're going to in 2023. It doesn't. That's why you need to regularly check in. You need to just have this continuous conversion of yourselves going on. Yes, that conversion took place when you came to Christ initially. Yes, but our hearts need to be uh, repenting all the time, drawing near to him so that we stay focused on our great God who's good, who wants to be with us. Second thing that I want to encourage you to do as a response, because our God is great, good, and with us. I should live with boldness and hope. I need to boldly, you need to boldly be filled with hope because your God is great, because your God is good, because your God wants, wants to be with you. You need to boldly Tell others about that God, about how great he is, about how good he is to you, even in difficulty, about how he is with you, how he has promised he never leaves you, never forsakes you. And because of that, you are a person who lives with hope even in dark days because he's great and because he's good and because he wants to be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we come. We come when we stop and think about your greatness. Think about your goodness as we think about your withness. We just want to praise you. And we want to thank you. And it makes us want to celebrate And I pray, God, that it will make our hearts desire to be people who are experiencing this continuous conversion, constantly running back to you, constantly coming to you, Holy Spirit, telling you to search our hearts, point out any way in us that needs correcting. We want to continuously experience conversion of our souls into life with you, God. And we want to celebrate the hope that we have in you because you're great and you're good and you are with us, not just watching, but you're with us, delivering us. We praise your name now, God. And we come to worship you and we come to celebrate and give thanks with full hearts that we can be people filled with hope Because our God is great, and our God is always good, and our God, you are always with us. It's in the name of God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.